0: You're listening to Second Breaks, a show about life in the middle. My name's Lou Blazer. I'm a former management consultant and IT leader turned writer and podcaster, and of course, your host. And there's one thing you should know about me right away. I am not an expert on midlife. I'm on this journey just like you. So together with my guests, we're going to explore what it actually takes to navigate midlife, thrive in it, and turn it into the best phase of our lives. So I think it'd be fair to say that one of the things that I've been working on, like for most of my adult life really, is to figure out the best way to manage my inner critic. That voice in my head that is very good at nagging me for all the things that I'm not doing right, and it seems to know whenever or wherever it is that I am failing. And there are times that it gets very loud that I can really feel discouraged and down on myself. Now, over the years, I have tried many different ways of managing that voice. I have fought with it. I've ignored it. I've befriended it. I have even been sarcastic with it at times. I have tried it all in an effort for that voice to like quiet down a little. Maybe, you know, make it a little bit more supportive. Then, a couple of years ago, I met Nancy Jane Smith through this podcast. Nancy wrote the book, The Happier Approach, uh, which I totally loved. And in that book, she talked about these three characters that most of us have in our heads. There's the monger, which reminded me of my overly critical nagger voice. The BFF, which sounded like a nice, fun friend who's always on your side. And I thought, huh, that's the voice that I want the loudest. But then Nancy talked about the biggest fan, and when I understood what that voice was all about, I realized that it was in fact a voice in my head that I would like to listen to. I want to give her the megaphone. But it takes effort to hear these different voices, and it takes practice over and over to pick out the voice of our biggest fan over the loudmonger and learn to listen to it instead. I first interviewed Nancy for the podcast way back in episode 55, and I'm going to put a link uh, to that episode on the show notes, or you can just simply scroll to episode 55. But I asked her back on the show to dive deeper on to be honest. I wanted to have like a refresher course on these three characters, but I also want to take the conversation to the next level and explore the concept of self-loyalty. This is the idea that we can have our own backs because let's just be honest here. We aren't always as loyal to ourselves as we are to others, and so Nancy has been teaching and coaching her clients on self loyalty. So I thought I wanted to be, I wanted to be talking to her. I, I uh, she would be perfect to bring back to talk to us about it. Before I transition to my chat with Nancy, just a little bit of editorial news. The next issue of Midlife Cues will be an expanded exploration of this very topic, self loyalty. That next issue comes out this Sunday, so be sure to subscribe to get it in your inbox. Midlife Cues is a free digital publication that comes out every Sunday for midlifers who want the most of their midlife. You can check it out and give it a try. Just head on over to midlifecues.com and sign up for it. All right, here we go. We're going to pick up my conversation with Nancy, just as she's giving a brief overview of the three characters.
1: So the monger is the first character, and that is the voice of the inner critic. So it's, and I call it a monger because mongers spread propaganda. And that is what the monger does. She's quick to come in and tell you how much you suck and how terrible you are and how you're a loser and you're never going to get it. and You're a fraud and everyone's going to figure it out, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and so she's can be pretty loud and that's the voice that a lot of people are familiar with. But then I brought forth this second voice called the BFF. And for a long time, the BFF is how I took care, how I handled my monger. And the BFF is the voice of false, false self-compassion. And so she's the voice that's like, I call the the BFF because, you know, like when you're in high school and you have that BFF, who's always up for everything and anything, but it might not always be in your best interest. That's the BFF. She is the one who's like, go ahead, have that second drink, our third, or we deserve to eat the Oreo cookies and let's have the whole pack and, you know, just constantly providing a, a outlet when the monger voice gets too intense in steps the BFF to give us a break. And a lot of people get stuck in that dynamic where the monger comes in to tell us that we suck, the BFF, BFF comes in to tell us, no, it'll be okay have that third glass of wine. We wake up the next morning, we're hungover, in steps the monger. And so we go round and round. And then there's the middle voice, which is the biggest fan. And the biggest fan is that voice that is the voice of wisdom and kindness. And she has our back. She holds our feet to the fire. She says, you have these goals you want to achieve. we got to get serious on this, but I'm not going to, she's not going to belittle you and tell you how much you suck to motivate you, she's going to do that through kindness and wisdom.
0: And as you know, that's my favorite. Oh, I guess it's everybody's favorite, right? The (laughs) biggest fan. So since you've written the book, obviously you've been immersed in this. You've talked to a lot of people. You've worked with clients about these characters. Do you find that we get better (laughs) as we get older? (laughs) At recognizing the voices, or you know, do the do the voices actually get nastier? <laughs>
1: um, uh, it's a multi. It's a, it's a complicated answer. Um, one, I would say she ha- the monger definitely has more ammunition because you have more experiences. She can pull uh, that ammunition, so in some ways, she gets nastier. Like if you're not listening to her, she kind of pulls out the big guns. Would be what I would say. I always say the the goal in working with the monger and the the BFF is to catch we're always going to head down I call them rabbit holes, we're always going to head down the rabbit hole of the monger. And she kind of traps us in this belief system of how much we suck and kind of keeps us paralyzed in a variety of things, procrastination, analysis, paralysis, all these things that we do are a product of the monger and the BFF dynamic. And my, my goal in working with clients and my goal as I've aged and in, in doing my own work is to catch myself before I head too far down that rabbit hole. So it's kind of like the monger puts a straitjacket on us, so to speak, and we can't get out of it. And so the goal is to kind of unhook, be able to unhook, ah, I'm headed down the path of the monger. Let me figure out how to bring in the biggest fan. I think with age and wisdom and work, that does get easier. But I do, I think the... I notice with a lot of my clients, and I, and I deal with clients who have high-functioning anxiety, there is this prevalent myth in the self-help world of I can get fixed. If I just work hard enough, I will be fixed. And as long as that belief is running the show, um, it's really hard to... To deal with these voices, because there has to be some level of acceptance that I have a really loud monger. She is a demon. She's so mean. She's so critical of me, and so I need to be on guard for when she's gonna strike, and I need to take action when I hear her. And I think that is something I've learned more with age and the knowledge of this uh, than I had in my in my twenties.
0: So. A couple of things. Oh my goodness, two or three. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing is, you know, when you say catch ourselves, right? So hear it. So I guess, and I can speak for myself too, that I do remember a time when I didn't even know that it was the voice. Mm-hmm. And I'm not alone with that one, right, Nancy, okay.
1: No, as I emphatically shake my head, no. <laughs> no, you are not alone with that. And that is, um, that's the biggest problem with the monger. We were raised to believe that we need the voice of shame, or we won't get anything done. So if I don't have that voice of belittling and, and criticism, I'm just gonna be hanging out on the couch eating bonbons all day, and I'm not gonna get something done. So the first, when I first start working with people, it's kind of being able to get them to separate out. They are not their monger. Because the monger and them are one big voice together. So anytime the monger is talking, they think that is the voice they should be listening to. It's their internal voice. But it's just a voice.
0: It's not the voice. I think that, and again, taking this from my experience, is that... The monger can be very motivating, Nancy. Yeah.
1: Yes, because she's, it's, and it's a different level of motivating. And like, it's a different thing. So let me, t- let me tell you an example. Um, I have my own podcast and I, this season, I started doing something different with it. And I was, I thought, just thought of this today. It gets released on Fridays. It's, you know, that we're recording this on a Thursday. I got the new episode. I need to put it up. And And this season that I'm doing, I feel really passionately about. I love what I'm talking about. I love this season, et cetera, et cetera. In the past, when I've done the podcast, um, I would put it, I would be motivated by the monger. And so the monger would be telling me, you have to get this podcast out. You're going to be a loser if you don't. You're, you know, your producer is going to be mad at you if you don't get this out. So everything was externalized. They're going to be mad at me. I'm a bad person. If I don't get this out, there wasn't any internal of, I can't wait for people to hear this podcast. And so I need to do all the work necessary to get this podcast out tomorrow. And so if that may mean, it won't mean this for me, but I, but that could mean I have to work late or that could mean I have to say no to something. But the motivation for doing that is different because it's a project that I'm passionate. It's an internal motivation versus someone will be mad at me if I don't do this right.
0: Yes. It's a shaming ourselves. Like, it's almost like we make ourselves feel awful about ourselves. So okay, fine, I'll do it because, you know, because we've guilted ourselves or shamed ourselves already for not doing it.
1: Uh, And I, but I have to, I mean, the, the thing I want to get across is that this is freaking hard. I mean, what we're talking about, recognizing the monger, hearing that voice, building awareness around it. It is hard because she gets in there, man. And she is talented. She's so good. And I call it, it's kind of like a trance, that we go in under the monger, like it is hard to get out of that rabbit hole to take off the straight jacket. Whatever I have fifty bajillion analogies <laughs> for it. Um, whatever you want to say, she it's it's hard. To, once she gets her hooks in you, it's hard to get them out. So so I so I a lot of people will then shame themselves that they can't get out of the monger. Like then it's you're spinning again. Like. Oh, my goodness.
0: Yes. It's like, what's the matter with me? Right? <laughs>
1: yes. Why can't I unhook this? I should be able to, da, da, da. you know, I, I'm like, I'm a freaking expert in this. And I'm, you know, spent a couple Saturdays ago, totally wearing the straight jacket all over the place. I was wearing the straight jacket. She won for days at a time. She was winning and I knew she was winning, but I couldn't get up the chutzpah to get rid of her because I believed what she was saying.
0: I so appreciate you saying that, Nancy, because that was actually one of my follow-up questions because a couple of things. One, and as I phrased this question in my head, I realized this is actually the monger talking because I was thinking to myself, at my age... I've known myself long enough, I should be able to hear the monger. And that's actually a voice of the mongers because I'm basically shaming myself totally. for not recognizing yeah. my mongers. So I should be able to, you know, hear it right. now. And then the other thing is that the, the, especially you know this. So, so if there's one person who I know can hear her characters, it's you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And yet, you still, there are days when they are still the loudest voice. Mm
1: -hmm. Having the knowledge doesn't mean that I can, you know, that I can move past them. It's a process and it takes effort and it takes energy and it requires, you know, diving in there and and being curious about what I'm feeling and what the real issue is. And sometimes I don't want to do that because it is, it's... It's sometimes because getting rid of the monger and, and bringing in the biggest fan is a process that involves acknowledging what I'm feeling and slowing down and getting into my body and being able to see a bigger picture. And and all of that stuff takes energy and time and, and introspection. And sometimes I don't want to deal with that. You know, I just want to get stuff done. And I don't want to have to go through this process of unhooking it. And of course, my monger convinces me that that process will take a lot longer Mm -hmm. to do than it really does and will take away my productivity time.
0: So let's talk about the second character, which is kind of interesting because... It feels like it's a pendulum swing to the other side, isn't it? It sounds like Mm -hmm. the monger is, you know, bitching away. And then there's this other voice that goes, you know, it's okay, Nancy. It's okay. You deserve to put up your feet for 24 hours and not do anything, (laughs) which may be true.
1: Yes, that's, it's the motivation behind it. It's all about the message. So I was, you know, today is a really busy day for me. I have uh, four clients. And, and this interview, and I had a doctor's appointment. And this afternoon, this morning, around lunch, I took a half an hour nap. I never take naps, ever. Never, ever do I take naps, mostly because I have a very loud monger. And I was tired. And I was like, if I'm going to get through this day, I need to take a 30-minute nap. That voice is the biggest fan she's saying, "Hey, to to do the higher stuff that you want to do today, we need to have energy. So let's just do 30 minutes. We'll set the alarm, shut it down, we'll feel better." And I do. I feel, you know, I also have a cup of coffee here which also helps as well. But the BFF would say, "Screw it. Let's just take, the, you know, let's just procrastinate the rest of the day. Let's watch Real Housewives. We're only going to do these four clients and see and talk to Lou, we're not going to do anything else. The motivation, her motivation isn't, this will serve our higher good. Her motivation is, let's get out of it. Let's see how little we can possibly do. Because the less we do, the less loud our monger will be.
0: Do you think, and this may be an unfair question, but sometimes I feel that when I scroll through instagram and the social media posts of quick bits of jolts of positivity sometimes it's the BFF sounding thing do you know what i mean it's it's sometimes it sounds like that and again i guess like i said it might be totally unfair but Having understood these three characters from reading your book and from our previous conversations, sometimes that's the impression I get.
1: No, I think I totally agree with you. I think the personal development self-help world is rife with that because it's easy. It's easy to bring in the BFF. It's easy to say you deserve it. Like you deserve is a total Instagram (laughs) thing, you know? And when I, and I could see it in the fancy font and the pink with the, anyway, um and, and I have removed deserve from my vocabulary, tried to, because I either want it or I need it, but it isn't because I've earned it. That's interesting. And that is because that's a monger mentality. We need to earn mm-hmm. scarcity. Mm-hmm. We gotta earn this, and then we're gonna take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. So it's recognizing anytime I make a decision. So yesterday afternoon, I had a um a mastermind group with some networking friends. and it was four o'clock, and it was my last thing of the day. and um and I wanted to have some champagne. I have a little bubbly can of champagne. And that, and and my BFF started in, you deserve it. You've had a tough day. This is what we need to get us through this mastermind. We need this alcohol, whatever, whatever. And then I was like, no, I want to sit outside and talk to my networking friends and have a drink. And there's nothing wrong with Mm -hmm. that. It's earlier than I normally would, but that's Mm -hmm. it. And that's the difference between the biggest fan and the BFF. It's super subtle. But it's the energy at which you're you're giving yourself permission to do stuff is, will this help me or will this hurt me in the long run?
0: Can I ask a question that is about something that happened and how we rationalize it in our head? So let's say that you were supposed to finish your book already by now <laughs> or whatever project it is, and you missed the deadline. And so we all know how the Monger would sound in that situation, right? You're a loop, right. you know, we all could imagine. Right. Yeah. So, but then the BFF might go, "Well, don't beat yourself up. I mean, you had a busy month. Something was happening, you got distracted. This other thing happened. It's just it's understandable that you missed the deadline." How I guess I'm trying to see how would my 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 biggest fan sound differently in that situation from my BFF?
1: Because the 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 missing piece in that story and the piece that isn't in the book that I discovered later um, is the idea of self-loyalty. And I would say that with self-loyalty, it is the idea of I miss the deadline. I got to own that I missed the deadline. I don't care if I have 50 bajillion reasons why I missed it and that all those are justifiable. I still missed a deadline. And so I need to own that and then say, what am I going to do next? How am I going to move forward with this? And the BFF is going to keep us stuck in excuses and it's okay. Don't worry about it, baby. You know, But there isn't any ownership of, but this book is important to me. And so I still I want. To, what can I do next to move it forward? And so with the example you gave, that's still in the monger BFF um, argument because the monger is going to step in and be like, "Oh yeah, you had a busy month. Sure you did. You could have done it here, 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 and here, but you decided to go out and have drinks with friends, or you took a nap, or you whatever." So then it's going to become this tit for tat arguing uh-huh, instead of the ownership of I made a mistake. Whether justified or not, I didn't hit the deadline, mm-hmm. and to me, that that has been the game changer for me is the ownership of where I drop the ball, the ownership of where I make a mistake, the ownership of the ownership. Yes, and that erases the monger because there's no rebuttal to that. I'm okay with the fact that I messed it up. Mm-hmm. I'm not okay with it, but you know, like I've owned mm-hmm. it, so whatever she says to me that's shaming and belittling doesn't stick anymore because I'm not secretly. Believing.
0: Gotcha. And now here's my go forward plan. This is what I'm gonna do. Yes. Right? Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Now I you mentioned a phrase that I want to get to, but before I leave, monger and BFF. Yes, um, yes. One last question: is is my goal? Should my goal be to eliminate them? Could I actually eliminate these things? No. Okay. So the goal isn't elimination.
1: No. These these characters are there. I mean. I, you know, there's a lot out there about, like, tell the inner bitch to go away <laughs> and tell this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you, you, She's a bitch. And, but she's a part of you. So the monger is there to protect you from, you know, she's just a little overbearing mom. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of uses shame and belittling to make sure you don't make a bunch of mistakes. Same with the BFF. She's there to make sure you're safe and not beating yourself up too much. So they're just misguided things we've learned over the years on how to cope and they're not going to go away because they're in there that we've they've been there put there by a thousand different patterns and mm-hmm. and people etc cetera, etc cetera. the goal is how do I work with them Uh yeah how do I notice when they're talking how do I notice when they've taken over and how do I step in and have my own back
0: now let's talk about self-loyalty I'm so interested in this bit of conversation Nancy because um the, la- the very first time I recognized the phrase, you may have mentioned it before, but the very first time it registered in my head was when we were chatting for your podcast, actually, uh, a few months ago, and you used the phrase self-loyalty. And then I noticed that when I get your weekly emails to your subscribers, which everybody should just subscribe to. I'll just say that now. Is is that you you refer to self-loyalty prominently. And so can you talk a little bit about this phrase? What does it mean to you? And what does it look like in practice? (laughs) I want to know if I'm actually, if I have (laughs) self-loyalty, I'm not sure.
1: (laughs) It came from the realization that a lot of my clients... I always have my clients do their top five values. Like that was something I used to do a lot with my clients. When they first started working for me, they had to pick out their values. And across the board, loyalty would be in there. Mm. They knew loyalty. They knew what it meant to be loyal to other people, to have other people's backs, to stand up for them, to, um, to be there for them, to be empathetic, to all that stuff, loyalty of no matter what you do, I'm going to be here for mm-hmm. you. And my clients have that in spades for other people. For themselves, that's the first thing that's gonna go out the door when something comes up. They're gonna they're gonna turn their back on themselves, they're gonna push themselves down, they're gonna over, um, they're gonna exhaust themselves, so they're gonna do all, you know, all the, they lose who they are and what's important to them and, and taking care of themselves. So I noticed that pattern. And then at the same time, When you're working with the inner critic or monger, you hear all the time, be self-compassionate and be self-accepting. And those phrases drive me crazy because I don't know, how can I be accepting of myself and be compassionate and still get stuff done? To me, that kept me stuck in the BFF. Um, I couldn't get past that dynamic and and I know that I mean like I know what they really mean it's and I and I really am a writer so I believe words are important so for me those words didn't resonate for someone else they will and that's totally cool but for me they did not and so then when I figured out this thing about loyalty and I was like it's about self-loyalty it's about having your own back and no matter what happens no matter how broken how um much I mess up, no matter how many mistakes I make, no matter how much I don't hit the goal, I still appreciate myself. I still want to figure out what's going to happen next. I want to build a relationship with me, all of me, the, the, the crazy me that comes sliding into this meeting at 2.29 and then says, oh, I have to go to the bathroom and then runs out to do that. Like, like, I want to be accepting of that person and have loyalty of that person, but also be saying, Nancy, we got to figure out how to get there five minutes early. We can't keep doing this sliding in at two twenty nine. We got to figure out how to get there five minutes early. Mm-hmm. That's self loyalty.
0: You know, as you were talking about that, I'm old, I'm imagining like to your point, it's easier for many of us, for me, for sure, to say I'll I'll have your back no matter what, like to a friend, right, or to a family mm-hmm. member. But I am trying to imagine myself looking at the mirror saying that, and I'm having a hard time. (laughs) Because I, Mm -hmm. first of all, I've never said that to myself, like that no matter what, I'll have your back. And so I'm imagining, you know, the intentions and the feelings I might have when I might say that to a dear friend, and then trying to say that to myself. And I realize I've got work to do. Because it doesn't I don't see it coming out as smoothly as I might say it to a friend.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I started really working on this, which was by accident, is is literally looking in the mirror and making eye contact, really looking in the mirror, not just, oh, yeah, everything's okay, and I'm looking fine, and here we go. But like looking in the mirror and being like, how are you doing today? And then pausing to hear the answer. And inevitably, when I do this, I get tears in my eyes. And it's the recognition of, oh, my gosh, Nancy, you are driving yourself so hard. It is constantly driving, 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 um, hustling to make sure people don't see the, the, fo- the foibles and the mistakes mm-hmm. and the brokenness inside. And so if I can finally ha- be like, you know what, I am broken And I don't want people to see that. Like, it's not like I'm walking around being like, ah, you know, because I think that's the BFF would be like, oh, Nancy be Nancy. Nancy comes in five minutes late to every meeting. That's just who she is. And that's the BFF. The biggest fan is the one saying, okay, yeah, right now you are the person that comes in five minutes late, but that's not the person you want to be. And so how can we change that and be kind about it without slamming ourselves? What ha- what's getting in the way of me getting here five minutes early? And, I, and that's, it's figuring that out.
0: Right. There's a subtlety there, too, that I, I heard, in, especially when you said the person you want to be, because, I mean, there are probably certain parts of ourselves that, like, you know, it, I'm okay with that. Do you know what I like, mean? That there's yep. there's it's not like we have to fix everything or like it's almost like there are right. certain things, it's okay. I'm okay with that. It's okay. That's not one of the things I you know. Yes.
1: That is that's self-loyalty. It's being able to discern what is it that I want to change and that I can change and that I want to work on changing, and what is it that's like, you know what? I got ridiculed for that as a kid, but now in my 40s, I don't care about that anymore. Like, I am someone who does that, and so, so be it. I am someone who is, that is super sensitive, and I can be overly emotional. I have worked my entire adult life to stop that, to change that, to try to make that different, and it is who I am. And because of that, I'm an awesome coach and counselor. Because of that, I make an amazing wife. And I um, have a great relationship with my nieces and nephews. And it also has some negatives. And so I need to figure out how to navigate those without belittling myself.
0: So where do we start? Like, What's the work involved in order to strengthen our self-loyalty or build the self-loyalty?
1: So the first thing that I um, I think it starts with, and I was really upset to realize this was it, but it is acknowledging your feelings. It's acknowledging your experience. Feelings has a negative connotation, but it's acknowledging just checking in. I'm scared right now. I'm dreading this experience I don't want to do this I'm excited about this whatever it is and really being able to just acknowledge where you are doing regular check-ins with yourself to be like what am I experiencing what is it what is it like to be me and doing that without judgment without criticism just doing it and then another important part I think is is getting into your body and really, you know, I encourage people to do a full body movement. So throughout the day to stand up and move their bodies and and wiggle or stretch or just be aware because we get so stuck in what's the next thing? What do I got to do? Oh, my gosh. Blah, 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 that we forget that I have a body here. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm not just this person in my head. I'm a whole it's- human being. <laughs> Yes, And so, you know, building that relationship to recognize, oh, yeah, my back does hurt, or I am thirsty, I need to go get a drink or whatever it is. And so it's, it's slowly over time, building a relationship with yourself and having curiosity about yourself and being able to say, oh, there's that. There it is. You know, the week, the couple weeks ago, when my monger had her hooks in me, it, I finally got out of it by saying, oh, yeah, wow, my monger's ruined really loud. <laughs> Right? And just owning that she's there. Right. Like, oh, that's why I'm feeling this way. My monger's really loud. Okay. And then that that was it. that was just the very first baby step. You know, just recognizing she was playing. And then it's like, well, what am I feeling? What's happening here? And I pull out my fee- a feelings sheet and I read it and I name the feelings that I'm that I'm feeling 8 to 10 of them, which I hate feelings. I mean, I think <laughs> I went into therapy what as a t- therapist to figure out how to intellectualize my feelings. So I just I just want to say that, that I'm not like some woo-woo person over here being like, feel your feelings? Yeah. I'm like, no. They suck. I wish I didn't have them. Yes. But I
0: do. <laughs> I'm very... Like, in that respect, I would like to be Spock.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. Totally. But
1: they are there. And they are running amok. And they are making me do things and think about things that I wouldn't... Realize if I didn't, that's why because I hate them so much, it's why it's important for me to pull out the feeling sheet and name them. Because every time I name them,
0: I'm like, Oh, I didn't realize I was feeling that yeah. way. Yeah. You know, I really appreciate that because sometimes we deny. Like, so for example, there's something that I'm about, that I'm going to do next week and I'm nervous about it because I have never done this thing before. But whenever I, s- whenever there's a part of me that's saying I'm nervous about this, there's immediately this voice that goes, don't be nervous. It's okay. It's okay. It's like, what's the big deal about that? That's that's no big deal. It's almost like I'm trying to deny that I'm nervous about it. What if just for a few minutes just say, okay, yes, I'm nervous. Because I've never done it before. Or even
1: if there's no reason. Even (laughs) if you're just nervous. (laughs) Why does it have to be justified right it doesn't have to be justified and you know and i'm i'm saying that because it's easy for me to point it (laughs) out to you but i do it to myself all the time but it's recognizing i don't have to we spend so much time analyzing and justifying Mm -hmm. i feel stressed why do i feel stressed why i feel stressed and then i can lit me off all the reasons i feel stressed Mm -hmm. and then i can say to you but i shouldn't i mean comparatively (laughs) yes yes. to most people i got nothing (laughs) my life is so privileged and yes, my life is so privileged and I have a lot of stress and, and I need to, to pay attention to that privilege too. You know, I mean, all those things are possible. All those things are, are truths. But when we get stuck in justification, then we never move past it. That is not being loyal to ourselves. That's not having our own back. And when you touch that self-loyalty, like, it's like a giant exhale of, oh, yeah, I am nervous.
0: You're right. I am. Doesn't make me any, you know, nothing to be ashamed no. about. No. But I am so, nervous about it. I'm just nervous. And you're just nervous. And then it's like, okay, what can
1: I, I'm still going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. I still want to challenge myself to do it. Mm-hmm. What do I need to enter into this thing that I'm nervous about to feel a little better? Maybe I need to make sure I get a good night's sleep, and I need to make sure that I eat a good breakfast, and I need to do some pre-planning, and I whatever it is. But when we're telling ourselves we shouldn't be nervous, then we never we don't set ourselves up for success because we don't take care
0: of ourselves. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nancy, we have been peripherally talking about your work, but. For the next couple of minutes, can you like actually talk about your work <laughs> <laughs> and um, tell us where we can find you, wherever we can find you?
1: <laughs> well, I am a high function. I work with people with high functioning anxiety and I actually um, work with people use- doing coaching using an app called Voxer. So people, can- I call it coaching your
0: pocket I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Yes. So it is people can, um they, they pay like a retainer for the month. And then you could talk to me anytime mm-hmm. on Voxer and I get back to you that same day. Mm-hmm. And so instead of doing the stereotypical hour sessions, it's just an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. where we're trying to notice your monger and bring in the biggest fan and really dive into some of this work. I'm also currently working on, um, a course that'll be in, on high functioning anxiety specifically. And I'm hoping to release that at the end of the summer. And I have a podcast mm-hmm. called the happier approach podcast. And I also have a book mm-hmm. where I talk about all this stuff and the, all the characters. It's called the happier approach. And you can find that on Amazon, or you can go to my website, live happier.com where you can find all of this stuff. You can sign up for my self-loyalty Sundays, which is my weekly newsletter, you can get access to the podcast and the and the, my blog and my book and the whole f- find out about Coach in Your Pocket. Everything is there.
0: The mantra of Second Breaks is celebrate midlife. And it's a phrase that I want to or I'd like to explore with my guests these days. So when I throw out that phrase to you, celebrate midlife, what comes to mind?
1: You know, it's interesting because I would say I'm 48 and uh, I just tur- I mean, turned 48 this year. And it's the first... <laughs> I would say it's the first time that I'm like, oh, um, the clock is ticking. Like, as as if, like, it's not... I think in, my, you know, in your 20s, you think you're going to live forever and you have all the time in the world to do your goals. And, you know, it. it's endless. And so it was that realization of, oh, the clock is ticking. But also, you know, it is that idea of my BS meter is so much... I don't know if it's lower or higher, but but I'm you know, I I'm willing to put up with less BS. Hmm. And I think that is something that I struggle with being <laughs> in midlife. Like I went to celebrate that, but at the same time my monger steps in to tell me that I should be, you know, more willing to go with the flow, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think for the fir- this birthday and hitting, you know, getting closer to my fifties is is is, is The first time I'm asking myself, what do I want from my life? Not what should I want, but what do I want my how do I want to design my life moving forward? Because you do start looking at life differently from, you know, like I'm no we don't have kids, and you know, who's gonna take care of us when we get older and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and all those questions start coming up that weren't there and, and where do i want to travel and what do i want to see and and so i think that it is a it, i'm still in the muck of it trying to figure out how, how the tra- i'm still in the middle of the transition i think from being like the possibilities are endless and you know time has no meaning to recognizing no there is time and and what do i want to do with that time Because I would say up until this point, it's very been fly by the seat of my pants. You know, there hasn't been a lot of intentional design. It's kind of been like, oh, I should do this thing and I should do that thing and I should, you know, check that box. And now it's like, well, what if you don't have to check boxes anymore? But 20, I was very worried about what other people thought. Very much had the belief that I was broken. And that I was just kind of this fraud trying to, to make my way in the world and hoping people didn't figure that out. And so I spent a lot of my 20s doing what I thought I should do, getting in relationships that sucked and were painful. I, I spent too much time not having self-loyalty and giving, my, giving away my power, giving away my my thoughts and my sensitivity to other people who weren't deserving of it. And I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of struggle and it was hard. Today it just is amazing to look back at my 20s and be like, oh thank god I am not that person. I think in my also in my twenties I was dying to be in a relationship and I really wanted to find a partner. And there, by the grace of God, I found the most amazing partner for me, and I'm so blessed, and like so thankful to have him. And we work our butts off to have the relationship that we have. It is not easy, but I'm, but so I think in my 40s, I'm so much more settled, and and that BS meter is is coming down or going up or however it should go that analogy, and I am just just constantly working on that self loyalty piece of what works for me. What do I need? What do I want to do? How can I, and and turning that more outward into, okay, I'm more settled. How can I do something for the larger world? Which was not something I spent a lot of time in my twenties worrying about the larger world. I was so self-absorbed. And so now to be like, rather than beating myself up for my privilege, how can I use my privilege to help move this world in a positive place so it's in a better spot than when I got here? Um, which is going to take a lot to do. But I think that's where I would say I'm, I'm, just, I'm just happier and more content. I have bad days, but they don't last as long. And there's just not as much angst as I had in my 20s.
0: I want to thank Nancy Jane Smith again for coming on the show and for sharing her insights with us. You can find out more about her, her work, her book, her podcast when you go to her website nancyjamesmith.com. As always, you can find all the links and the highlights of this episode on the show notes at secondbreaks.com. If you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, please do me a solid and share it with your friends. You spreading the word about the show helps tremendously in growing our community of thriving midlifers. And I would be so grateful. Now, in our next episode, I'm going to be joined by Nancy Davis-Cow. And Nancy is the host of the Midlife Mixtape podcast. And she's the author of the book, thank you project cultivating happiness one letter of gratitude at a time it is the perfect conversation just right in time for the thanksgiving holiday here in the u.s nancy and i are going to talk about how this project the thank you project forced her forced her in further comments to change the way that she viewed the world I'll be back in a couple weeks with Nancy Davis Co. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans.